Welcome to Methods, a podcast from the ESRC National Centre for Research Methods. In today's episode, using storytelling to transform lives and communities. Our guest on this episode is Joanna Wheeler, Senior Research Fellow at the University of the Western Cape in South Africa. I imagine that many researchers would say that what they do relates to storytelling. And, and that was how I really became interested in, in storytelling as a method, was working with, with different kinds of methodologies, including life histories and other forms of qualitative research. What became clear to me is that when we start to really try and understand everyday and ordinary experiences that people have, that the telling of those stories is something that needs particular help methodologically. And it doesn't just necessarily come out uh, fully formed through a, a question and answer type of process. And so I'm very interested in storytelling in a particular way, and that is in the way that it allows people to recognize and articulate what happens to them on an everyday basis. So it's the sort of stories that are often not told or not heard, and that those stories can be told by people through a creative and iterative process. In other words, the stories are something that takes effort and craft mm-hmm. to to create. They don't just emerge fully formed Um, and that the process of crafting those stories is itself a form of research. One of the things I've seen through that process is that stories and the process of telling your story is a way of helping you to make sense of what has happened to you and to sort of give it a name and set your narrative, what your narrative is about who you are and what happens to you. And, And that has, I think, other kind of consequences when we think about that from from the point of view of research. Yeah, that's really interesting. Now, as part of some of the work that you've been doing, you've spent some time in a town called Delft in South Africa, which is where you're based. Tell us a bit about what you were doing there and and, and why. Sure. So Delft is a a township in Cape Town. Uh, It was created after apartheid ended in 1994, and it includes different kinds of housing. So you have sort of formal housing built by the government, and then you have informal housing and shacks and so on. Uh, It's quite a large area. It's about over 100,000 people in total. Um, And it also currently has very high levels of violence, different forms of violence, gang-related, intimate partner violence. Um, There's also a lot of police corruption. And so I was working there over a number of years with community groups, in particular the Neighborhood Watches the community policing forums and groups of young people who have an interest in changing their situation and and their community. And so the storytelling was part of the work at that very uh, local grassroots level to understand how people experience insecurity on a daily basis in their lives in Delft and ultimately what can be done to address that insecurity. Now, whilst you were working there, Uh, something happened which really caused you to reflect extremely deeply on the work that you were doing. Tell us what happened and how it impacted on you and uh, and, and what what you were researching. So on the first day of the story workshop with the group from Delft, um, I was, I spent the whole day listening to, to their first attempts at trying to tell their stories. And there were a lot of very traumatic examples of violence that people in the group had experienced that they were talking about in trying to tell their stories, which is very, it's very emotional to to listen to it for everyone involved and obviously very emotional for them to tell it. And during the course of the day, my phone 
started going crazy, but I, I didn't, I wasn't looking at it because I was in the middle of this process. So when I finally did look at my phone at the end of the day, I saw that I had hundreds of messages and it was because a young girl in the same school as my children had gone missing. And it turns out that she was raped and murdered in the park right next to our house where I take my children to play almost every day. And so these things coming together in that way on that day made me have to think um, as a researcher about not just the violence that other people were going through, but the violence in my own community and how I was going to respond to that. And I think that it's this is one of the things about doing this kind of work that's very important is to also reflect on on the consequences and the implications of that kind of intersection. In the year that followed on from that, tell us a bit about how your research process unfolded, what you were doing, you know, what happened. We went from the, their own stories about um, how they experience insecurity and violence in their daily lives. Uh, having spent lots of time and effort to, for them to put the stories together, we then took them all apart, um, but through a visual analysis process to understand why things had happened in their stories, what had changed, why did it change, what forms of power could they recognize um, in themselves and in others and um, in, in their stories. And that was really the basis for allowing us to engage in a much more structural analysis. So that is asking questions not just about what happens to you, but, but how what is happening to you relates to the wider society. Um, and in South Africa, that implies thinking about racism, about multiple forms of inequality, um, and so on. And um, that process of analysis was then used as the basis for developing collective stories. So then we looked for what resonates between these stories, the things that have happened to me, the things that have happened to you, and why they've happened, what, what sense can we make of that, and what story do we want to tell about that, and who do we want to tell it to. So, so ultimately, over the course of the year, we then focused on how to engage specifically with people in the city government in Cape Town, um, who have a lot of a lot of control over decisions that affect people's lives, including the way that, you know, security is being provided uh, within the townships and, and, you know, a number of other things. So by the end of the year, the people who had started out barely able to speak about their experiences were designing events and presenting their stories and films that they had made to people in government. So let's take time now to hear one of those stories. 25-year-old Sinazo Peter, originally from the Eastern Cape, now a filmmaker, poet and artist who's involved in many social projects in her own community and in South Africa more widely. We were a happy family, though there was no one working at home. We only survived from my younger sister's children's social fund. Sometimes I would go to the northern suburbs with my friends, asking for something to eat and money. Mama didn't like the fact that I was a beggar, but she had no choice because she couldn't work as she was very sick. I felt very proud of myself for bringing food home, and I really didn't understand why my mom didn't feel proud of that too. My dad got a job, but then I stopped begging, and things became better. We received a residential development project house in Philippi. My mom's health improved, and she got a job as a cleaner. 
I felt it like it was a new beginning for me. 22nd of June, 2008, when I was 16 years old. It was a warm Sunday evening. Two strange men came in our house and pretended as if they were getting lost. One had a piece of paper in his hand. It had my mom's cell number and home address written on it. The other one asked for bathroom, then came in with a gun, shooting at my cousin's brother. I ran to the door with my sister's three-year-old son. As I was running, I noticed that I had wet myself. I heard the gun went on and on, shooting. Then I knew my mom was dead, but my cousin brother survived. Life started to be more difficult because my dad became an alcoholic. I struggled to focus at school. I kept on thinking of what happened. My dad had to go to Eastern Cape with my sisters, so they left me with my brother. In 2013, July, I received bad news that my father slept and never woke up in the morning. That was just another storm in my life. I had a lot of different friends. Some were negative and I would find myself getting tempted to do things they did. I decided to create change in my community and be the role model to the young girls. It hurts me a lot to see my age group not respecting their mothers. They had no idea how precious it is to have a mother. My art was the only thing that was healing my soul, mostly my poetry. Now I am very proud to be the person I am today. My parents always wanted me to be the black princess and made them proud. Though I was not, it was not easy growing up without a mother, I tried my best and I am proud of who I am. I rise. Listening to these stories must have been uh, and would have been extremely difficult, emotionally draining for the other participants and for you as a researcher. So what then were the positives and the benefits that emerged from this work, both for those individuals and also the communities uh, that, that you're talking about? Yes, I mean, the, the process of telling the stories, it is, it is always an emotional one because obviously stories do have emotions. That's what makes them yes. a part of what makes them a story. Um, but I think that alongside of the, the, the tragedy and the pain is also um, the creativity, the resilience and the courage that people have in their lives, which often goes unrecognized. So actually, I think that the storytelling process really highlighted that for people. This is what I have survived. Here's the ideas I have for how to go forward. And the recognizing of that power in people is very important. And it's not to say that that's necessarily always, you know, like a linear thing that will happen. But I think that when you work in a sustained way with groups, then, you know, you have have that possibility. And so for a lot of the people in the group, and I've seen this in other um, story based research that I've done, you know, it is it, it can be quite a transformative process in terms mm -hmm. of your confidence and ability to put your story into the public domain and to um, have people respond to you differently as a result of that and really recognize what you're saying differently. And so for a lot of, especially a lot of the young people in Delft, I think there's a very strong sense that they just don't matter and they're very invisible in society. They don't have jobs and they don't have any hope. And so to be able to put their story into the public like this and have people 
that they consider important to listen is is really a powerful experience. Now, you're going to be presenting this work at the Research Methods Festival in July. I wonder what people coming along can can expect to, to hear and find out. Yes, so at the Research Methods Festival, we're going to have a panel that looks at different examples of research like this. So it will include the work in South Africa, but also work from India, Ghana, um, Uganda and Egypt. And I think what we want to really, one of the things we want to focus on in the panel is this question of how you sort of layer these different steps together um, and how you can move from personal stories to collective ones and what kind of possibilities that creates for the type of public dialogues that you can have with government um, or other um, uh, people in power and what then that opens up in terms of the possibilities for um, making those who are in power more accountable for their decisions. Joanna Wheeler was talking to Christine Garrington ahead of her presentation at the 2018 ESRC Research Methods Festival. You can find out more about the research at transformativestory.org and all the details of the festival are available on the NCRM website at www.ncrm.ac.uk.